HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Eating Tools, unique handmade cooking tools. For more information, visit eatingtools.com. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. Here on Tech Bytes, we cover the intersection of food and technology, and today that intersection is on the blockchain. We're covering NFTs, food NFTs. Do you know what an NFT is and where the blockchain is? If you don't, this show is for you. We have a great roundtable of guests today, a group of people responsible for the Dumpling Mafia NFT. Sounds delicious and digital and like a great way to start the year and a great way to start the Chinese Lunar New Year. First up, we have Chef Charlie Chung. She is Miss She Cafe in Culver City. She's also been on Top Chef, so you may recognize her from TV. Shirley, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. We also have Andy Wong, her a writer of many things. If you Google him, you'll find some great articles about NFTs. He's also a podcaster. Andy, thank you for joining us. Happy to be here. Thank you. And the man who's going to bring the tech point of view um, and know-how to the show and to the NFTs is Grant Friedman, who is director of the private client desk at CoinCloud. Grant, thank you for joining us also. We don't often have um, digital finance people on the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Jennifer. <laughs> so this is a new food group for us. We're excited. We like we like money, um, and we like money in the cloud. So before we get into what the Dumpling Mafia is and why they are making NFTs, I'm sure there are a lot of listeners out there who have seen NFT in the news, in their social media, who have heard about cryptocurrency and digital wallets and Ethereum and the blockchain and Bitcoin. But can you give us sort of the quick elevator synopsis of what Ethereum digital currency is and what an NFT is? Sure. Happy to do that. So um, NFTs are stand for non-fungible tokens. So anything digital right now is being tokenized and what that means is it's being minted which is basically means it's being uploaded onto a public ledger where we can track where anybody can track um, how it's being transferred if it's being bought or sold 
etc. So the most obvious example of that is with digital art. Um, and that's, we'll get to, you know, the dumpling mafia and the dumpling mafia NFT. But basically, you know, this, these digital art pieces are being uploaded and, and people are uploading New York Times articles that they wrote, um, you know, pictures of actual art they're uploading onto the blockchain. But basically, this digital art is being sold, bought and sold and tokenized. And I kind of think a good way, a good example you know, we think back to the old futuristic movies or, you know, The Sims, you know, if you played Sim City and there was that little diamond above your head and basically it was a your person. It was a letter digit, letter number combination above your person. And under that was basically what you owned. And, you know, you clicked on your person and that person owned, you know, three pieces of art and a house. And, uh, you know, various other things. So basically anything digital now, whether it's a, you know, a real estate title or some artwork, it's being tokenized. And basically the way you find out who owns it is through this digital wallet. And basically your digital wallet is, you know, a letter digit, letter number combination. And, uh, you can keep it anonymous or some wallets are very well known uh, for having a lot of digital art in it. So, you know, with regards to Ethereum is the digital asset that is being basically 99% of the NFTs or the you know, things that are being uploaded onto the blockchain are being traded with Ethereum. Um, so Ethereum is a digital currency that is volatile. It goes up or down. Um, but a lot of people are making a lot of money trading um, various NFTs. And uh, you know, Bitcoin was the original blockchain. Ethereum came, Bitcoin is a little bit slower in terms of transactional speed. And Ethereum came along to be the second blockchain, and it's much more transactional. It's much more friendly in terms of um, digital transactions. So that's the that's the story of, of how NFTs got started on the Ethereum blockchain. And uh, hopefully, I can provide a little more insight as we go along here. So we'll, we'll often take the pause and say, um, Grant, what are they talking about? But just to make the connection when you talk about the digital ledger that's recording sales and transactions and what people have and what they own the digital ledger is the blockchain correct so there are various different blockchains the ethereum blockchain is a is a infinite public ledger where our digital wallets, our combinations are being stored. And underneath our combination is, you know, those assets that we own. So yes, the, the ledger is the blockchain. And when we talk about bringing NFTs or bringing digital art onto the blockchain, we'll, you know, you'll hear Andy or, you know, say minting, you know, so when we mint NFTs onto the blockchain, it basically means we're uploading it onto the ledger and we're making it available for sale on that public ledger. So, um, so it's sort of know. like putting something up on eBay and then putting it up there and then you can sell it because it's in that framework of buying and selling 
and it's available. So you would maybe create a um, digital money account, you know, PayPal, Apple Pay, something like that, and then put your thing onto eBay and then use one of your digital wallets to buy it. It's sort of something like that, but... Right. No, it's exactly like that. So you have your digital wallet. Um, there are two types of digital wallets. There's a there's hot there's a hot wallet and a cold wallet. A hot wallet is basically the essentially an application on your phone that easily connects to the marketplaces. Um, we talk about OpenSea, which is essentially the eBay for NFTs, and their current valuation is. $13 billion. So we see the meteoric rise in these NFT marketplaces. Um, so you have your hot wallet on your phone or your computer, you connect it to OpenSea and you can see your profile and your digital art. And if you want to take it off of the marketplace and hold it on, for example, cold storage wallet, cold storage is basically an offline wallet. So a lot of people like to have a little extra layer of security. They'll move it from their hot digital wallet, which is you know their phone or their computer, onto their cold wallet, which is sort of a more physical, you know, USB-like device. Okay, so that's a great uh, synopsis of it. So people can follow along the Dumpling Mafia NFT story as we go, just to sort of put a cap on on Grant's explanation of all these things and to give a sense of what we're talking about in terms of money value, Bitcoin was the first digital currency and it has a finite, there are a finite number of Bitcoins. So the value of those, understandably, just continues to increase. And currently, I believe today, the value of a single Bitcoin is just about $43,000. Ethereum was the next one, and in dollars today, the price is about $3,300, so a little bit less, a little bit more accessible. And then on the NFT artwork front, I was asking Google um, what the highest profile sales were recently, and the sales that topped 2021 was a piece called The Merge by the Artist Pack, and it sold for $91.8 million dollars. So there's money to be minted out in <laughs> the blockchain and um, in the crypto world. So let's go back, bearing all of that in mind, let's go on to meet the Dumpling Mafia, which actually starts with real dumplings and real people in LA. So Shirley, why don't you tell us about how the Dumpling Mafia started because you are known as certainly the Dumpling Queen of the U.S., if not the world. <laughs> I'm hoping the world <laughs> very soon, um, but thank you. Uh, so I'm officially the Dumpling Queen of Los Angeles uh, to start because Los Angeles, uh, LA Times sort of crowned me. Um, but Dumpling Mafia actually started as a dining group. Uh, started very organically between me uh, Andy and also our great friend Carol Chen, and we three of us we all moved to LA about like around the same time. So from two, 2017, 
we are all working towards our next project. I was building my restaurant in Culver City, Mystery Cafe. And then so three of us always get together and we wanted to really get to know L.A. better. I, I mean, I grew up in the Bay Area. I always come to L.A., but I haven't. This is the first time I permanently live here. So we were going to the San Gabriel Valley and then started sort of started dining every single Chinese restaurants, and then it just happened that they always have dumpling. So we started our dumpling crowd in the St. Gabriel Valley, and we would go to multiple lunches and go to different spots, and then we always try out their dumpling. And because we're all Chinese-Americans, I'm a chef, and I'm also very well-trained in the dumpling sector because I grew up in Beijing. So I've been making dumplings uh, since I was five years old. It's like a, it's a mandatory training as growing growing up in northern China. Um, so we have a lot of say and also a lot of things to really looking forward to enjoy dumpling. So as our little group going around and then we really start to grow and everybody wants to join this dumpling crowd. So we started to calling ourselves dumpling mafia because not only we eat dumpling, we critique dumplings and we also at least me also make dumplings and distribute dumplings. So this is a hundred percent is what mafia does when it comes to dumpling. And as our group <laughs> grow, uh, more and more people wants to join our dining group. Uh, so that's sort of the background story of how dumpling mafia originally formed was actually a dining group among uh, food, food industry friends. And then pandemic hit. Uh, so one thing happened to all, everybody in our industry is, uh, at first, we all shocked, and then we all went through this sort of depressed period and trying to figure out what's going on in the world and what's going on with our business. And once, at least what happened to me was after the depressed period, we really came out strong and wanted to fight again. So one way is trying to figure out how to bring more revenue into our single location, which a lot of times at that time that a lot of us cannot even open for dining. So ordering to go and delivery, that became our only source of income. So we all started pivoting. So what I done really well was uh, I started my online store on Go Valley and started really with selling frozen dumplings. And I started selling a lot of frozen dumplings through, uh, during pandemic. And so this became my major source of income. And then I started to connect with a lot of friends and then realizing that a lot of us all sort of in this kind of whole, we're all sitting here surviving and trying to figure out what do we do for our next step in our industry. Um, and then so, and one day, Andy, Carol, Grant, and I, we meet up at dinner uh, over dumplings and noodles. And then Andy- <laughs> Always, so Andy, always over dumplings. Always, correct. It's, it's Technically, it's kind of like a mafia, dumpling mafia meetup. Um, so we have a meet- <laughs> in person for a while and then as we were talking was who Grant is and then who Andy is and Andy's during pandemic he's one of his passion is uh really got into NFT so one thing that Andy talked about is like right now most of us we really live digitally a lot we're constantly on social media and a lot of information we get we live on this metaverse now so the way we're living is very different from like two years ago. So what can we do to really sort of reach into this different world because we're all about to get into this together. So we used to have eBay and then now we have OpenSea for NFT. So you can see the technology is definitely moving forward. So how can we be part of this? So Andy's is like, you know, like it's so much easier to create NFT than folding dumplings. 
Yeah. So Andy, you are a voracious collector of NFTs as well as dumplings. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's and it's all happened honestly in the last five, six months because this world is changing so yep. quickly. So when you talk about the metaverse and talk about digital and the world changing, it sounds like a lot of the impetus to create the Dumpling Mafia NFT has to do with um, spending more time on the internet, on social, on digital, spending more time physically separated from people in our restaurants and looking for ways to not just connect out with people, but then also to connect out with customers and consumers and, and other streams of revenue. A hundred percent, because as we pivot, we're talking about creating revenue stream into one location. Or for me, a lot of times a single chef as, as a chef, what can we do more? And so when we when we decide to release NFT from creating this project to make it come true, it really that there's a lot of things happen. It just happened that I'm actually working on a new dumpling co uh, concept. So I actually have this art. I, I have the connection with this artist and then we all work really well together. And then Andy and Grant's been friends for a long time. So all this thing happened in the perfect timing. And then also because we have this need as chefs, we're all constantly looking for how do we build our brands, especially in this world that there's so much different information coming at us. And then, and then so in a way that I kind of established my brand in Los Angeles already uh, before pandemic. And then because of pandemic, by selling on GoBelly, I expanded my brand to nationally. So become this, I be able to carry my dumpling nationally. But now with the Dumpling Mafia NFT, in a way that I we created Dumpling digitally, so therefore that everybody in the world be able to be part of Dumpling Mafia, be part of our community at the same time that have my dumpling internationally. So it's building a, a like helping chef to build a brand in a very different, I mean, different universe. <laughs> 100%. So 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 this way is 100% is food and technology really coming together to create this something new. And I really feel like this something new is the direction that will, the whole world will be moving towards to. So, you know, like how many years ago eBay was created and then there's Amazon and then there's PayPal and there's Tesla and then there is, I'm just saying, the NFT is 100% the art and technology for the next steps or next generation. So Andy, is that what the appeal was for you initially to start collecting NFTs? I mean, you're a food writer. You've been in the food world for a long time. You know the community of chefs and diners, and you were in New York for a long time. Now you're in LA. So you have that both coast national point of view. What was the first... What was the first NFT that you bought and what was the appeal of it? And do you only exclusively buy food NFTs? Uh, I buy a lot of food NFTs, but unfortunately there aren't that many. The first one I bought was a little ghost that was holding a turkey. Then I ended up buying a ghost that had an ice cream cone. Because <laughs> yes, I do like pictures with food in them. But you know, the original motivation, honestly, was in terms of creating our own NFT was all the things that Shirley was saying. Plus this notion that I talk to chefs every single day for my day job, right? And if you ask them, hey, how are you? Small talk can be 30 minutes of therapy. And I'm not sure if it's for me or for them, honestly, because 
how are you is such a loaded question. And the metaverse was just this other thing that you could do that would sort of like give you hope about maybe new revenue streams, about new models, maybe a new way of life. And But I think the real like turning point for me in the middle of doing our NFT and me buying all these NFTs is just realizing that six months ago, this would have been really difficult to explain to most people. And it still is difficult to explain to some people. Now, I just go, look, spend 90 seconds with me on Twitter if you don't want to believe this is mass culture. Let's go look at Jay-Z's profile. Let's go look at Reese Witherspoon's profile. Let's go look at Steph Curry's. Let's go look at Steve Aoki's. Let's go look at Lisa Ling's. They all have prominent NFTs. Now, if you think about somebody like Jay-Z and the fact that a lot of people buy art, right, because they want to flex over other people, right, or they buy things because they're limited, right? Jay-Z could buy the most exclusive Bugatti in the world. During a pandemic, he has to physically drive it somewhere for somebody to see it. And maybe what, like a couple hundred people are going to see this? Anybody who looks at Jay-Z's profile picture on Twitter sees his CryptoPunk. That is now his biggest flex. It is the one that people see the most, right? So on that side, yes, it is this you know new form of art because if you spend all of your time digitally on your 15 Apple devices and you're isolated, why shouldn't your digital stuff be as valuable, if not more valuable, than your physical assets? Because more people are going to see and interact with your digital identity than this other identity. So that's obviously like on the biggest high-end mass culture part of it. But the thing about minting an NFT on OpenSea is that there are also just artists, you know, college students, disabled people, people who years ago would have started alt-weeklies, but that media is dead, who just go on OpenSea, mint, you know, 10 of 10 things that they created, you know, donate some of the money to a mental health organization, attract a developer, end up building something really big or somebody like, or somebody important, you know, like Gary V notices them and just showcases them because he's really into women owned NFT projects. It's this thing where the barrier of entry is so low. And I think it appeals to so many artists and creators and also just capitalists because of the fact that it is decentralized. And even if you're somebody who's a billionaire you always run into this thing where there's always some other entity or there's the man or there's the government or whatever with the potential of disrupting you. Certainly that is true on some level in cryptocurrency, but the fact that it is decentralized means that there's not a single entity that controls any big share of it. It means that the people who are part of this control it. It means that the competitors who are you know, being launched to sort of combat OpenSea because a lot of people don't like you know, their customer service and their downtime and all that. They're creating platforms for the people who use the platforms get rewarded for creating the platforms and they own the platform. Even if the platform's worth a billion dollars, the ownership of that is split among the founders and the people who actually make it. And it's a blockchain. So it's transparent. You can see who owns what. And the Do other you part, think- of, yeah, go ahead. No. And the other part of the rabbit hole that's fun, as Grant says, is that it's public, so you can see how all these things happen. You can see how Jay-Z got his CryptoPunk, who bought it, who's transferred it, you know, when it was sold before, et cetera, et cetera. It's an interesting cross-section of a lot of different things, because on the one hand, it is 
an auction and financial market where we can see the value of dollars moving around and people can invest in it speculatively as collectors, as traders. The other thing is that it also has this almost social media-like quality to it. If you could be, I mean, I know we have influencers on Instagrams and, and advertisers on podcasts and things like that, but, and you can make money on TikTok if you have a lot of followers, but it's also an interesting, it has an almost social media-like aspect to it because of the public nature of it and because it is digital and because people wind up utilizing so many of these NFTs that they buy as their profiles on social media. As you can see, if you if you hashtag search Dumpling Mafia on Instagram, you'll see a bunch of Dumpling Mafia NFTs that people are using as their profile photos. And so the combination of, you know, money, art, collection, speculation, and the, the public social media gamification of it and status of it is a really interesting one. And I don't know that we've had all of that combined in one package until now. At the same time that NFT also create what we call communities. Um, just say that, you know, so um, just say that you join part of Dumpling Mafia and you minted Dumpling Mafia crew on our, on our uh, website. And so you become part of Dumpling Mafia. And we create this community that obviously dumpling loving community at the same time that because we are real identity, like I'm real chef. I have a real restaurant that actually exists. So we will have events. Uh, for example, we will have Lunar uh, New Year events. Originally, we were uh, going to throw a party in LA, but then now with the new uh, variant surging, so we decided to do a digital event. So we'll be having like digital events and making dumplings together for Lunar New Year, just give you an example. So, but things like that, that will happen. And as part of Dumpling Mafia, you will enjoy this kind of perks because you're a part of the community. And then for me, I also started to collect my own NFTs because after uh we created this Dumpling Mafia NFT project. So I'm very into female-focused, female-driven NFTs. So there are those community that we can join, like the community for mental health, community for like boss ladies, so all the lady bosses that you can join or you can purchase. I mean, you can mint the NFT and join their community. So things like that. So in a way that is a very cool kind of business model that I get to sort of literally have all my passions and hobbies and everything all together and then enjoying this as a whole. Like, I don't know how to clearly explain, explain this, but that's exactly how I feel. Like I feel sense of belonging. Uh, there's certain NFT that I purchased and I feel like, oh, I'm really part of this community and then join their conversations and we'll have community meetings. So things like that is really exciting for me as well. And I feel like this is another side that just a typical art that you don't really get. That's very true. Unless you specifically go to a museum or an event or something that is staged as a once opportunity to get together with people around a piece of art or around an idea or an artist. Um, even with music, you know, a concert, you have to, if you want to be a part of a community, you have to go be with that group of people on that date to listen to the music together. One of the interesting things about Tech Bytes, we've been doing the show since 2015, and we've done a lot of digital technology and AI and all, all kinds of things. 
The interesting thing is that all the technology, digital and otherwise, is always about ultimately leading you to a real-life, in-person experience. It doesn't matter how techy or how digital or far away or you know, robot-like the technology is, at the end of the day, it's just about getting to actually eat a dumpling or be with people or get to a restaurant. You know, it's interesting <laughs> yes. that you, it's interesting that you, you, you say that, and I'm not disputing the point that that's true of most people, but the thing that I like about NFTs, because Shirley was saying it creates all these different experiences, is that people can treat it as whatever they want. They can be flippers. They can buy into something because they like a community. They can buy into something because they just love the art or it reminds them of their daughter or their girlfriend or their wife or their husband or, you know, just like, or a stuffed animal or the first car that they bought. But there are also very prominent NFT collectors who've posted things on Twitter just like they don't want any of these physical in real life perks. It's great that it exists for other people, but they get, they're just buying this for the reason that they want to buy it. And I feel like there's something so empowering about this where it exists on so many dimensions. So you could do this because you care about the mental health organization, or you could buy our one of our dumplings at auction because you care about this top Asian hate organizations that we've supported. Shirley and I in the last year have worked on both virtual and in real life events that have raised close to $100,000, you know, for the Stop Asian Hate Movement. You could not, you can care about that. You cannot care about that, right? And I think that what the NFT world should be is just accepting of the fact that people can come in at this at whatever angle that they want. You know, like there's this high profile um, uh, NFT creator, fashion designer, artist named Bobby Hundreds, who tweeted something today where he was basically just like, He's wondering if we'll ever get to a point where people will just buy NFTs with the intention of keeping them and flipping them, right? Instead of flipping them. And I just wrote back this thing where it's like, look, fashion's disposable. Art's usually illiquid. Most physical assets depreciate. A lot of them do. And yes, a lot of NFTs are flippable. I don't see the problem here. There's a lot of people who want to flip NFTs, and there are lots of people who just buy NFTs because it's a fun hobby. And there's a lot of people who are just like, this is great art that I want to keep forever. All of these things should exist at the same time and let the market just shake itself out. I mean, in my opinion. So in your article, Why Can't I Stop Buying NFT Art of Food? You talked about people purchasing NFT as speculative investments. Do you think that that's something that you know, modern buyers should be considering when they're buying NFTs? And do you think that NFTs are an investment for the future? So I don't personally see it as an investment. Yes, I've had some things appreciate and I've done well, right? But it's the same reason that like I wouldn't trade meme stocks, right? I totally understand that this works as an investment and people essentially can day trade NFTs, right? And this is the same thing that I think Grant would say. Whenever I tell people what NFTs they should buy, because a lot of people ask me, I'm like, buy art that you like, buy things from people that you believe in. And those tend to be the ones that will probably do well, right? Versus just like, I'm going to go buy 10 of these things because I'm trying to chase some up market. I mean, one thing that, you know, Grant can also speak to now or later is just that NFT flipping is much harder than say flipping stocks because there are all these fees that you have to pay. There's the gas fees for Ethereum. So you know, versus like going on E-Trade where, you know, it's now transaction-free trading, right? This 
to me, seems like if you're trying to just actively make a career flipping, more difficult than all these other forms of trading that that exist. So obviously, nothing's going to stop people from trying to do this. I just think there's a lot of built-in mechanisms in NFTs where people become really attached to a lot of these things, and they don't start thinking about it financially as much as this is something that I like. But if I sell this, I can get two other things that that maybe I like better. Like I saw this great tweet the other day where somebody who's a prolific NFT collector tweeted something along the lines like, you know, NFTs are kind of terrible because what happens is you just end up holding them forever or eventually sell them for a lot of money and then you're sad about it. So that's kind of how I see it. We are going to take a quick break and find out who the sponsor of this show is. Do you know that Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit? We keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of our members, many of whom are listeners like you, grants, and underwriters like this one. Stay with us. Eating Tools was born to showcase the artists, metalsmiths, woodworkers, and craftspeople behind the endless interpretations of the ancient tools that feed us. The curated collection of unique and extraordinary handmade culinary utensils you'll find at Eating Tools, along with a hand-picked selection of top quality production-made pieces, presents a catalog of products never before assembled in one place. Food, cooking, craftsmanship, and art are their ingredients. For more information, visit eatingtools.com. You are listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today that intersection is on the blockchain. We are talking about dumpling mafia NFTs, the real life dumpling mafia that turned into a digital dumpling mafia. We're talking with Chef Shirley Chung of Miss She Cafe in Culver City. If you want to find out more about her and more importantly, get some of her dumplings, Go online to misschicafe.com. We're also talking with Andy Wang, writer, NFT collector, podcaster. You can follow him on social media at Andy Wang, N-Y-L-A, all one word. And representing the digital wallet and all of the cryptocurrency, we have Grant Friedman, director of private client desk at CoinCloud. And you can find out more about CoinCloud at coin.com cloud or follow them on social media at coincloud.dcn. Coincloud is an interesting company. It's literally an ATM for digital currency in addition to being um, digital wallets and trading. And I, I guess it's, to me, it was just such an interesting concept to think about something digital coming into a real life 3D space. Grant, can you explain to us a little bit what a digital ATM or what how CoinCloud actually works? Sure. So CoinCloud started in 2014, um, which seems like such a long time ago. But the founder, um, Chris McCallery, basically prototyped a, a digital currency ATM where you would walk up, put cash into the machine, and then pick your digital asset. It used to be only Bitcoin. Now we sell, buy and sell the top 30 to 40 digital assets on the machine. So you can walk up to the machine, you can put cash 
uh, in the machine, you could pick Ethereum, for example, if you're interested in NFTs, you could pick Ethereum, you scan your digital wallet. Like I was explaining before, you know, a hot wallet is on your phone. So you scan a QR code essentially, and that Ethereum is shot into your <laughs> digital wallet for you to use. So um, it's just an amazing concept. And we're trying to be the pathway to the digital economy for, for anybody, um, whether it be you know, walking into your convenience store or if you want to purchase online. We have that ability as well, but basically, we we want to be the place people go to for you know education, establishment in the in the digital economy. And the spectrum is very wide. From you know, if you just want to invest in Bitcoin, which we were talking about before, is you know a scarce digital asset. There's only a certain amount. Or if you want to invest invest in Shiba Inu coin, which is a has infinite supply and people <laughs> like to you know play around with that. Or if you know if you want to just invest in Ethereum um, and connect to OpenSea and, and buy some NFTs and get into that, you know we're, you have that ability by walking up to our, our machine. My job, more specifically at CoinCloud, is to deal with um, you know the people trying to transact above. Um, the kiosk limits. Um, who want to buy, you know, with a wire transfer and and establish their their themselves. Maybe put their, you know, Bitcoin on a physical wallet, you know, like a USB in a safety deposit box, and and not not pick it up for a while, and hopefully, it, you know, gain some value during that time. Um, but CoinCloud has. Uh, we're trying to deploy ten thousand of these digital currency kiosk machines um by the end of next year so you will you will see them around um sooner rather than later so there are about four thousand of them out there right now right correct and just to recap i can take actual paper dollars and go to the coin cloud atm and put my actual paper money into the coin cloud ATM, DTM, what are you? Yeah, digital currency machine, D- DCM. You DCM, can actually put the you DCM can, yeah. and then turn it into digital currency right. and buy right. stuff on the blockchain. Fiat money, fiat paper money into the machine, digital money into your digital into wallet. Cloud, out, into, the into, cloud. into the cloud. Exactly. Now I I love this idea. And again, it's it's almost um it's almost like reverse engineering in the logic. And I think having the, you know, sort of 3D world paper money transaction going up into the cloud is something that makes it very tangible, obviously, and easy for people to understand and do. And I can almost see these types of, of um, you know, machines being in businesses as passive income, exactly the same way you see vending machines and ATMs and businesses now. Uh, especially if restaurants are getting into the NFT realm, but you can't have them in New York City. So tell us why, because that is a big disappointment for me. And hopefully things will change so that we can have them in New York City, because I would love that. There are certain states that are a little more, a little more highly regulated than others. And New York happens to be one of them, but they are turning the corner. And I do think it's because uh, digital assets try to break down the barriers of the legacy banking system and Wall Street in particular 
And that's why they're a little behind in terms of um, openness uh, to the digital asset space. But you need a bit license to operate um, digital currency ATMs in New York. And our application is uh, is in, in, in the works. So hopefully soon you'll be able to walk up to uh, one of the coin cloud machines and get your digital assets. That would be great. So Andy, you are certainly well-versed in, you know, restaurants in LA and beyond. Are there restaurant, other restaurants that you know of that are currently in the NFT space? There are chefs I know that are exploring it. Obviously, like very prominently, Tom Colicchio and Spike Mendelson have been tweeting about what they're doing. Uh, there's restaurants that I've been talking to. Uh, there's like a consortium of um, uh, pit masters around America that are thinking of doing their own thing. And it could end up being perks like line passes for things that you can't, you know, normally like cut the lines for. But the answer is that we are super, super, super early on this. And there aren't many chefs that are on the blockchain right now in the form of How NFTs. Early? How early, how early is super, super, super early? Uh, if we were talking about internet 1.0, I would say pre-Yahoo. Forget pre-Google, <laughs> pre-Yahoo, that early. <laughs> so pre-Yahoo, so no iPhone. Yeah, so I mean, so let's not Pre- even kid, right? Pre-Yahoo is, is what, 2019 something? Is it like 1998? When is it's, pre-Yahoo? It's the 19, it's like the, it may be earlier than that, because I think I wrote my first story about Google maybe 1999. You know, I know people who have Hotmail addresses still, and I'm yeah. sort of envious, and I wish I had one. So, no, we really are that early. There's a new NFT platform to compete with OpenSea that launched this week called Looks Rare that already has this traction and is already making me realize, you know, OpenSea is the winner right now, but we have not even seen the battle that's like Amazon versus buy.com versus overstock versus barnesandnoble.com. I mean, all of that stuff, we're not close even. Well, and I mean, pre-Yahoo, I mean, where is Yahoo now? I mean, Yahoo still exists as a news service, as a search engine. You know, it's gone through many, it's gone through many iterations. Yahoo actually still republishes a lot of my stories. So it's still in my world. Okay. And apparently a good, a good friend still. So early, early, early. So that means years, we're talking years before this becomes really commonplace in the restaurant industry or becomes a a common viable strategy for passive income or social media engagement. I wouldn't Um, say years in terms of that just because of how quickly it happens. Like I honestly think that like a new NFT platform launched a week ago and it's going to radically transform how a lot of the biggest whales are buying NFTs. And two months later, somebody could launch another one. And a lot of chefs don't have their own NFTs, but I certainly know a lot of line cooks, dishwashers, busboys, people with pop-ups that were taking cryptocurrency and have lots and lots of um, uh, Ethereum in their Coinbase account and were lucky to mint certain NFTs that are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, so a lot of them have made money in crypto and NFTs, and it has opened so their door for them, but they just haven't created their own yet. That's next. Yeah, so I, I want to say, say oh, go sorry. Ahead. when we first release our NFT, um, I want to say like 
the first 20 people or so, I wanted to say they all chef friends. And then a lot of them, like not necessarily my chef friends, but it's like through our social media, through our network, they saw. So it's really, it's all our industry friends that that's really interested in the beginning. And we have like a spike of purchasing when we first uh, uh, dropped on OpenSea. So, I mean, I feel like a lot of us are very interested and then a lot of us are here to learn. I spent, I wanted to say the first month of we dropping our collection, uh, I was spending a lot of times on texting and phone calls with my chef friends and they're learning what is NFT and how to purchase it from how to purchasing to how to create. So there's a lot of questions and curiosity. So I definitely see this is going to become something kind of mainstreaming our chef world really quickly. I mean, we're talking about like from the 1990s, the technology moving forward really slowly, but then now the speed, even though Andy kind of said that this is like pre-Yahoo, but then now the way our technology moving forward is a lot faster than from the 90s. Um, so I can see this happen really quickly in a few months or like shortly next year or so, the market is going to be really different. So you think in a year or so, the market is really going to be different. Um, I'm going to ask all three of you sort of the same question as our, as our way to end the show, looking forward um, in terms of the NFT market and restaurants and chefs. Can you predict what to look for or what to expect over the next year, two years as NFTs develop in the restaurant industry? I mean, I think as far as from chef's end, and I know a lot of my chef friends are really interested to create their own collection. So you you might very soon to see some donut NFTs, cookie monster, uh, uh, cookie NFTs. I'm just saying, I'm just throwing it out there. It's just based on my friends that already express interest. Um, so uh, for me, I really looking forward to NFT sort of become, in a way, is like, membership to our restaurants or membership you know like instead of those like cars that you can accumulate points and i can sort of see that at least this is the way that i would like to use my nft in the future is to using nft as part of a membership that you have this nft that you will have special access coming to my restaurants or coming to my chef events and things like that and i think this can be very it's very easy to do for chefs i can really see this becoming a trend and then we all jump on it as a as a group. <laughs> Andy, what do you predict and what are you looking out for or expecting in the next few years? I mean, at a moment where we know issues with restrictions, labor, supply chain, all these obvious things are making it harder and harder to have a restaurant. I think that chefs are going to need to find other revenue streams. This potentially is one of them. And I think there are chefs that are going to essentially treat NFTs as a way to you know, stay connected with their community and also as a different form of crowdfunding, right? As a supplementary thing to getting investors, right? As a supplementary thing to doing traditional marketing and PR because they can just use their Instagram and their Discord and their Twitter to build a larger following than paying somebody on retainer or all that. So I just feel like, as we know, uh, I'm about to talk to Roy Troy right after this and he has a TV show now that's just about how the restaurant industry was a house of cards and the pandemic just proved it and knocked everything down. So a lot of people right now, they still love the food industry. They still want to be part of it, but they know they need not really to just rebuild what they have, but to build something new. And I think a lot of it's going to happen on the blockchain in the metaverse. 
And so for Grant, same question to you, but not necessarily restricted to the restaurant industry. What do what do you see or predict or expect uh, to see happen over the next few years in the NFT market? Yeah, I just think we're going to see a lot more engagement uh, once everybody is onboarded um, to the digital, you know, to the metaverse. Uh, basically, you know, the the spectrum is really wide from creating, if you want to create your own NFT, you know, it can be as easy as downloading a picture onto the marketplace, or it could be as complicated as working with a, a coder developer friend and making a full series of NFTs. Our NFT, the Dumpling Mafia NFT started as, you know, an idea. We were just going to do a few and the CoinCloud product team really got into it with the artist and all of a sudden we ended up making over 4,000 of them because we had the ability, but everybody has their own pathway. And, you know, I think we're going to see, we're going to continue to see digital assets become more valuable. I think we're going to see a huge deployment of dollars from venture capital and hedge funds into the space this year once it becomes more regulated. So I think we have a six-month period here where the recreational investor, such as everyone on this podcast, to layer in some funds into the space and play around and learn and do your own research about the different digital assets and different blockchains and different solutions and applications being built on those blockchains. And uh, hopefully we see some friendly regulation that allows people to uh, remain anonymous um, or if, you know, if they want to just invest and pay their taxes and, and do all that, everybody, you know, there's a place for everybody here. So that's what I was getting at. There's a place for everybody and everybody has about six months to go. <laughs> that's right. those, that's, those are good takeaways. Um, and again, you know, the interesting thing is I think Andy, you know, was very uh, pointed in saying that, you know, it's a very democratic space. You can do what you want with it, sort of like everything else. Keep it, hoard it, buy it because you like it, trade it, give it to somebody, buy it to support something else. Um, it really is a multi-layered uh, opportunity. I want to thank Chef Shirley Chung of Miss She Cafe in Culver City, Andy Wang, writer, Grant Friedman from CoinCloud for coming on the show and talking to us about the Dumpling Mafia NFT. You have time to buy a Dumpling Mafia NFT before Chinese Lunar New Year, which is going to be their special event. And again, as Chef Shirley has been saying, you know, being able to participate in that community has been a key driver for the creation of Dumpling Mafia, FOMO, everybody following their social media, and you know, connecting to the restaurant and the people who love dumplings. So go to dumplingmafianft.com. There's a bunch there. They made 4,888 membership NFTs. So there's a lot over there if you have a voracious appetite for food NFTs. If you like this topic, NFTs, crypto, Ethereum, 
Grant is going to come back and we are going to do a crypto coin cloud, how to set up your wallet and buy a Dumpling Mafia NFT show. I know there's a lot of people out there who would really be interested in a kind of step-by-step, myself included. I want one of these Dumpling Mafia NFTs. I need to get me one. So we're going to set that up together. Stay tuned to Tech Bytes for that show. If you want to listen to more episodes of Tech Bytes, this is episode 253. That means we have 252 in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritageradionetwork.org is the premier global broadcasting channel for all your food radio. We have been live on the air for more than a decade, and we have more than 15,000 episodes for you to listen to. Um, You want to talk about just going into a digital space and connecting with things? Well, we got you covered for a couple years. If you like the show, come back and listen next week. If you love it, subscribe to it and give it a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform. If you think it's really important and you can't live without it, go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate and become a Heritage Radio member today. It'll help us make more radio and tell more stories like this one. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bytes. Tech Bytes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.